today's guest, Annika, Director of People and Organization of About You. To keep that pragmatic attitude on how to um, implement processes, always like question them how to make them the most efficient and lean and how to make them the About You way that like fit your um, fit your corporate culture. I think that's one piece that is super crucial um, throughout the process. And um, also to like give the signaling and explain. So what happened? Why did we do the IPO? And now we're listed. And it doesn't mean that like your complete work life has changed. So basically there are functions where there is a lot of change finance, legal, for example, um, new job families come up also in HR because you have share plans that need to be administered, for example, um, uh, where you then need more capacity on um, than you had before. But that's basically a thing that, um, that I would like to point out and um, which I think our founders are also like doing super good on that piece to communicate this And not to like be okay, we're listed now. And so basically everything's different, but to also see, okay, we're listed and these pieces have changed, but the rest hasn't changed basically. Annika joined about you in summer 2020 between the two lockdowns. And we talked about how the lockdown um, changed an organization at the size of 800 people preparing for an IPO and also her thoughts and perspective of a people function in an organization coming from a private equity and consulting background. And this episode is a bit high level in terms of how we view certain things. And I think that's also really interesting to zoom out. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change things. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side. Welcome, Annika. So we had contact via LinkedIn and I saw that you had an, I think, three years anniversary at About You. Um, I saw that and then I reached out. We had a call. Now we do a podcast. I'm happy. Um, so maybe you start telling us a bit more about yourself. Thank you so much for the intro and also for the invite, Thomas. And that's correct. So I posted in August that I celebrated my three-year anniversary at About You already. So crazy how time flies. And uh, yeah, you reached out and invited me. And I'm very, very happy to be your guest today. Nice. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself before um, about you? Um, what shaped you most and um, what, what's your career so far? Yes, of course. So let me start back um, looking into studies. So I studied psychology originally and um, then did my master in psychology and uh, did another master in business administration then and was a little bit unsure on where to go, to be honest. Um, had a lot of HR insights during my studies with internships, working student topics. But I was like, after studies, perhaps the grass is greener somewhere else and um, wasn't sure what to do. So I decided then to, to go um, and do a second master in business. And then I started strategy consulting. Yes. And so far there on my first project, I was... Um, 
part or I joined a private equity practice um, and did a due diligence on an e-commerce or not an e-commerce, more a media um, media business model. And I was, um, I really liked the work a lot, I have to say. And um, so I stayed within that company, within the private equity practice for around two years. Then saw that I somehow liked it, that it really liked shape me with the analytical mindset, how to approach problems, um, topics, challenges, how to structure things. So I think that's a part that 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 really shaped me, although it was just two years in M&A private equity. And then I missed HR a lot, I have to say. So the interactions with the people, the topics coming up, as I think HR has really cool topics, um, if done right. And um Then I went to another consultancy focusing there on um, people and organization topics. And then I left for About You. So like uh, my consulting exit then was my start at um, About You in summer 2020, right in the um, COVID-19. So it wasn't lockdown back then, but um, it was time of the home office. So uh, not many face-to-face interactions Um Yeah, so that was basically my start at About You and the time I had before About You. Okay, that's an interesting background for an people HR profile, I think, because there I I think over time a lot of profiles which have a traditional HR background are also, let's say, in especially bigger companies. And sometimes maybe there is um, a lack of these process orientation structured thinking systematic way on doing things um that that this is maybe a bit lacking overall what i see in terms of competency how to structure <laughs> information um how to also just um get into a business perspective right so i think mm-hmm. if you are shaped from a private equity consulting approach this can really help also um at a certain level structure organizational pieces or structure the infrastructure that the organization can really um i don't know be more efficient um have certain results achieved what they want to achieve and so on so this is i think something what is cool so maybe we talk a bit about that perspective um on what what you brought them to about you because i think what you told me that you were there from 800 people to 1,500 people um, in terms of growth, something like that. So can we maybe categorize this in, in growth stages on, on, on how you how you perceive the growth um, from a people yes. perspective? Yes, yes, of course. And um, very interesting to get your insight on that. So can completely agree what you're saying, that it's like being from a strategic consulting private equity background in HR. So that's not like the most typical career path you're following. And of course, also that comes with strength and also comes with pitfalls. So it really also meant for me to um, quickly adapt in that role for um, topics that weren't on my agenda that far. So for example, One topic, labor law, um, wage tax topics. So everything where you're like, that's of course of an HR leadership, that's like daily business, but that like wasn't that much my daily business before. But um, 
I really believe into like um, attitude and around how to how to be like humble, know those things that you're not like perfect in, but where you need to learn. And then I really believe in that if you have the right attitude and um, put a lot of effort in it, that you can learn those things and that it's more important to really have that, let's say, strategic mindset where you're like, okay, I know how to structure and solve problems and then get into it, but then also not be like, okay, I know everything, but really be aware of your blind spots and um, where to learn, where you also need to staff the team accordingly. So to have have skills complementing um, your own skill and, and strength profile. Um, so can Derek can completely agree. And uh, I also wanted to say that I see more and more people with these backgrounds joining HR by now. So it's not a majority, but Looking into my network, I have a lot of people who come from consulting backgrounds than once were in HR and were like, okay, that's like a pretty cool function. So I love the topics and then stayed. And I think this is um, this is also a cool switch for HR to have more strategic strategic focus, strategic impact, and also having more business profiles who are like, okay, HR is really doing cool things. And that's also something that I can definitely, uh, definitely underline. In case you like my show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. I think also, especially now when you have a more variety and diversity of jobs um, in, in a company, I think maybe pre-digital age, um, there was a lot of bulk jobs happening and it was a very um, repetitive job or not very but maybe more repetitive yeah and what i also see is that now especially with a lot of knowledge workers and um, managers that maybe just do it the first time or have a certain style and not grow within an organization over 10 15 20 years um, they need an interface they need an interface of uh, i don't know people team, leadership component, management components, process components, whatever it is. Also maybe pieces of policies, budgeting. And maybe sometimes there is an HR interface with the business partner model. Um, and I think it's very, it can be very discussed if it's good or bad or how. And um, on, on the financial side, there is sometimes no, not, not this model, right, where you have an interface of, okay, what, what can I spend and why? Maybe can, can I make um, independent decisions um, and so on? So I think overall, um, su supporting functions like, for instance, finance, HR, legal within the company um, should learn a lot of best practices, principles okay. from the consulting piece or also from a very... Yeah strategic perspective um, and a, a commercial perspective because I think this is how you can add the most business value as well. Yes, 100% agree and also here bef before then on coming to the growth stages of About You, um, I also see a lot of companies or not a lot, that's the wrong word, but I see some companies already like implementing um, more of the finance business partner roles. So especially mm -hmm. within large organizations, um, where you do not know basically the people in finance, but like have a huge finance organization and would be okay whom to reach out exactly for which kind of decisions to steer me on that. Um, I see a lot of those fast moving companies. Then I think um, uh, 
I'm not quite sure which ones, uh, which examples, so I do not want to put some out there without being completely sure. But I think of two exemplary companies, I think that I read some time ago where they're like, okay, similar to an HR business partner, we have a huge organization and put an, uh, a finance business partner uh, model in place to like really help and guide, especially in a multi-country organization yes. to really guide their strategic decision-making on the ground in the country and then like be the be the link into the overall finance organization and be the enabler for uh, for the business on the ground. And I think this is um, this is a super good model and really um, curious to see how this will develop over the next years. Definitely. And I think there are always two ways on how to structure it, maybe even more, but the most common ones are by function. For instance, for tech and product, you have one. Um, then for sales, for, I don't know, whatever the organization looks like. Um, or you do it by country, as you said, right? That you have a country yeah. P&L, um, but then you also need some kind of revenue there and also costs that it makes sense exactly. somehow. So it really depends highly on the business and it can get really complex if you have both, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you have the Definitely. country um, um, and complexity and also then the departmental business unit complexity and maybe. Yeah. And also, also on the HR business partner piece, we see that with us. So we have also switched from the HR generalist roles to people operations and to um, people business partners. So it's basically. Um, different skill profiles. So in our operations department, we have really tech-savvy, process-driven people who really like to optimize, automate, and digital uh, or digitize um, processes, basically. Um, and in the business partner roles, for example, there are also different skill profiles. We have um, analytical people there who also... Um, grasp overall strategic topics, but it's more like also being the interface, being empathetic. So really also bringing in this people perspective from the organization to the departments. I think it's super, um, I think it's super important, but what we see here also in the transition phase is that it always, um, needs a reiteration around which tasks are located with whom. So um, which is an operations topic, which is a people partner topic, which is for even larger organization than coming from a center of expertise, for example, and how do they integrate, how to set up the business partners best for success, but also like to have a good task split at hand. And I can say that um, also here, having done transformations in consulting, I thought like, okay, we're like a smaller company. Um, we're like super agile and flexible with everything we're doing. That would be an easy one. So God, I was so wrong about this. So it doesn't stop. Basically, you really need to question that piece basically every quarter because like new requirements coming in, new topics are popping up. So you will be always discussing these things yeah also a major learning um on that piece and when when you entered at 800 people what was the people infrastructure looking like how was the people team set up and so on and how was maybe the organizational structure roughly if you can share yeah of course so right we were with uh the growth stages and and the headcount pieces yes as and it I was pre-ipo back then right when you tried yes it was pre-ipo it was around 10 months prior to IPO. So basically, um, 
what were the main challenges? How was the people function set up then? To be honest, to come to 800 um, employees in that short amount of time. Um, so About You was founded in 2014. So basically to build up like 800 employees over six years. So it's really a massive job, basically. And, and you also saw that in the people department. So there were a lot of... Um, operational work on that so really to keep stuff going to enable the growth to bring in new people and also to administer the people so everything that has um or that was like required um and and then also let's say some strategic initiatives where we're like um an own development team so like um, about your academy with trainings um but uh we really saw like also here that over the growth there was so much operative pressure on it and really need to grow that um, there wasn't there wasn't that much let's say of process optimization standardization so things grew organically on that stage so what was like a major people challenge here um, I think also setting the team in place putting like up the right HR structure for about use or to um, really work together with the business but also like to to foster operational excellence on the HR piece and to really target business needs um, effectively um, I think that was one of the main challenges and then everything which um, which comes with that was the process automation putting up new HR software automating them with different interfaces pulling up standardized reporting um, structures so that you will be more in the um, in the steering context so that you get more numbers driven and um, do not just have or do not make decisions by intuition only but also like have the backup of the numbers which I think HR produces so many numbers if you know how you can leverage them I think very very good um, and um, can get a lot of um, decisions really backed by solid numbers so um, this also I think a topic of HR that a lot of people are underestimating to be honest yes, I but think uh, that's, oh, that's really more than 50% of the job to, to yeah. get that right um, yeah. because it's actually just getting an understanding of what's happening yeah Definitely. And um, then other topics. So basically it was, and that was also what I really liked about starting at About You, um, our founders really like gave me a green field and I could um, work with them together on topics like career path, salary bands, org structure, org setup. So like the whole bunch that you can uh, that you can imagine that comes up in an HR lifecycle um that we were working on at the time. And um, yeah, one other topic, so to also put a bridge towards our headcount growth in that time, besides like also preparing for an IPO was the hiring piece. So one topic, super important here, to have um, solid recruiting teams in place. So with the different specializations, because I think at our record with open vacancies was around 500 open vacancies where we really are putting with non-tech recruiting, tech recruiting, employer branding, um, a huge active sourcing team and backbone. So to really 
keep stuff going. Um, so it's not easy. And also here, the effort uh, that is put into solid recruiting is also one that is underestimated quite often. We saw us really benefiting also, of course, from our consumer brand at About You. So we were not like a solution that's like in the back end. So a lot of people, especially in Germany, know about you. And um, of course, that also helps. Nevertheless, it's not like that you have a cool consumer brand and you can relax and the people uh, people run into your office. So it's still, let's say, um, a big chunk of work that has to be done there. Okay. And, and how did the remote um, work? Because you, you joined in the middle of lockdown one and two. Um, how did that transform or change the way you worked at About You? So that's a super good uh, that's a super good question, and um, I have to say the time before I was working at about you, I just heard and from back then, we were really a face to face company. So we have different locations, of course, but we have one main headquarters, so which gives you the um, which gives you the advantage to basically have everyone on site to like create physical touch points in the office and to really facilitate culture building togetherness. So everything um, which is, I think, very important if you are at that high growth stage so that stuff is not getting lost and you grow and grow and grow and then you're like, okay, my cultural DNA some, somewhere got lost along the way, but we don't know where. So that's That's basically one one advantage of this. Then like COVID hit and um, like basically everyone everyone was 100% working in the home office. And I think compared to other companies, there weren't that huge challenges at About You because everyone basically has a laptop. And um, uh, we, of course, also had some stores and some uh, our photo studio where there is more, let's say, physical work. So not like a classical um, laptop workplace. Nevertheless, let's say 90% of the company were able to go full remote from one day to the other. And we also didn't have upskilling topics on that piece. So they're an easy thing on that piece. Nevertheless, it was really an effort also here that when you're used to that high growth and having a lot of face-to-face -face interactions, um, and then you have one of your main growth stages during COVID-19 pandemia with not that many um, with not that many physical like touch points interactions, mm -hmm. but like switching remote, that really was a topic um, where we also um, yeah just needed to do a lot. So um, when it comes to employee com employee communication, when it comes to uh, measuring mood, so we implemented for example. Um, Uh, tools during COVID-19, like like PECON, classical employee engagement tools, so you to really track the mood, to really understand what our employees are missing, especially in difficult times like COVID, um, where I think everyone had his or her personal struggles with at least something um, in the meanwhile, um, but also to find ways on how to interact with each other. I think that was um, really a main challenge. And once let the office opened or we were allowed to open the office again and like um, we had the vaccination status going up and everything went a little bit more back to normal, um, we also 
uh, discussed our office uh, and, and remote work policy. And a lot of um, colleagues that I'm discussing with are like, wow, that's basically a strict policy that we're having in place because although we're that young and flexible, we really believe that still having this big one headquarter and a second bigger office in Berlin with, with all the product development topics than our two tech hubs, we decided for the following um, policy. So in general, we have Monday and Friday, that's flexible work. So you can, you do not have to come to the office. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is office first. And that doesn't mean that you, if there are, if you have a doctor's appointment or something in your flat, of course, you do not have to take a vacation day for this, but you can work from home. But you need to have a reason then to work from home. And the reason is not like, oh, I don't feel like coming to the office today. But we really see Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, people being in the office. And that's the default model because we believe that um, so or other way around. It's not a trust topic that we're having because we, we have a lot of trust in our employees. And we also saw us being very, very productive and preparing an IPO in a remote setup. So that being said, but we feel that culture was getting a little bit lost. And so um, we really believe in um, like face-to-face -face interactions. How did you perceive that? So how, how can you, or how did you rate that culture is getting lost maybe as a risk factor? That's a very, very good question. So you see it, um, I think, measuring pulse service, you see it in comments, you see it in how much employees like identify with you as an employer. Um, but you also see, and that's a factor that, that I think is really unique for about you. We have a lot of employees who are like working with about you already for quite a while. So they know the whole life cycle. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, also them being leads and you being in discussions with them, you really also see them or actively raising points to you. Also having our three founders who are like super much operatively involved in the topics where we were just like, okay, um, we feel that there are a lot of people at about you who do not know each other, who never interacted with each other. Um, we see that... Now, looking in the summer and currently, um, basically every every evening, if you go through our office, which is also very beautiful and where we really put tons of effort in to like make this a place where also people like to come. So we have nice um, outside spaces to relax, to have a drink, to really group together like with your teams. And um, you really see this. So if you're like crossing through the office basically every evening you will see at least one team or one sub team at a company somewhere having a sit-in discussing topics celebrating milestones so something like that and i think that really makes it kind of unique and um we see that that like came back to life with uh with with this regulation basically and and why have we decided for fixed days i think two topics where we feel that the most traction productivity like gets lost is in typical hybrid meetings. And I think mm. everyone knows it by far. You have three meeting rooms dialed in and then like single people from the home office, then 
internet is not working and so on. So you really lose traction whenever you have bigger strategic decision need meetings. So it's basically, I think, also here, if you are a multi-country organization, then of course I'm not saying you should always like fly in everyone to one location. Nevertheless, um, I think if you have the luxury of, of one big headquarter, then there's nothing like having those strategic meetings in person. And I also see a lot of remote companies that are like, in general, we're remote only, but once a month or every three months, we like bring all the leadership team together to have one in-person touch point to facilitate culture, to meet up and like to have interactions and really work together on topics. And I think this also underlines that only virtual is, let's say, not... Um, not a piece which uh, which which you can use for everything. So and um, to like not always have those hybrid meetings is one um, one reasoning. And the second reasoning is basically if I tell people that I want them to come to the office to experience the culture and um, to to meet colleagues, I think the worst thing that can happen is if people come to the office and then they're the only ones there. So they will be like, okay, thanks for nothing. So I came to the office and I was the only person on the floor and it was like boring and lonely. And we're therefore, so we want to come to the office on, let's say the same days so that we also facilitate the interaction here and to not like have people then being the only person on their, on their floor. Mm -hmm. And then one, one piece that I need to, mark out for our tech organization this is a little bit different um, we see that in the market especially for jobs like engineering qa developers um, remote is like the full new normal and we're also seeing these jobs more like interacting within their teams and not having that many cross um, department projects throughout the whole company. Yeah. So these are the jobs that we um, that we offer full remote work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, please send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. And um, when you just compare now the the maybe IPO process from a people perspective, what, what was mm -hmm. different to not being in the process? What, what did you need to prepare? What did you need to do? What, 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 how, how was the life after um, the IPO versus before? Um, also, here is a super good question. So from the people perspective, I think um, in general, an IPO per se is not changing the company culture. And I think this is... Um, this is super important to to have in mind you of course have a lot of more compliance regulatory topics that you need to be aware of nevertheless you also had compliance topics before that and also non-listed companies had compliant uh, has com have compliance topics um before that they're just different topics so and i think um to keep that pragmatic attitude on how to um, implement the processes always like question them how to make them the most efficient and lean and how to make them the about you way that like fit your um, fit your corporate culture. I think that's one piece that is super crucial um, throughout the process. And um, also to like 
give the signaling and explain. So what happened? Why did we do the IPO? And now we're listed. And it doesn't mean that like your complete work life has changed. So basically there are functions where there is a lot of change. Finance, legal, for example, um, new job families come up also in HR because you have share plans that need to be administered, for example, um, uh, where you then need more capacity on um, than you had before. But that's basically a thing that um, that I would like to point out and um, which I think our founders are also like doing super good on that piece to communicate this and not to like be okay, we're listed now. And so basically everything's different, but to also see, okay, we're listed and these pieces have changed, but the rest hasn't changed basically. And um, I think that's important to keep in mind. And that would be like my my perspective on the culture and, and what's changing in the company um, through an IPO. And does it also affect the way you plan in terms of staffing and so on? Not directly. So in general, um, of course, you will see functions where you need to, that need a higher headcount then or new job families coming up. So for example, when you're being listed, um, you need more legal capacities to cover topics, for example, like insider trading, like Buffin um, related topics. Um, you also have topics in finance where there is more, let's say, regulatory pieces um, that need to be built up and be covered by finance that you, for example, do not need um, if you are still a smaller non-listed company. But also here I would say I'm, I'm not quite sure if it more depends on the size of the company and of the business or if it's just the being listed effect. I think it's a mixture of like high growth, new topics, and then being listed and some new topics come out of um, being listed. And for these, you will then have new job families then. So for us, for example, investor relations is a team that we built up in the course mm. um, of the IPO. And we didn't have that before, but I think that's one concrete example where we're like, okay, communications are then different ones being listed. So it's not a classical corp communications anymore, but it's more in investor relations, financial markets communication, which is a different skill profile. And so we needed to build that up. But um, I don't feel that it's like a complete game changer looking into um, how you staff your organization so that it means that the ones you get listed, you have to build up massive overhead. So I don't think that's uh, that's the case. So you still can keep it lean. Cool. And um, as a final question, who is a guest that I know and you don't know who I should interview next? Oh, I have um, I have some on the radar. Uh -huh. um, so whom you can interview? Uh, I think. My colleague Annika, who's working for Flixbus, um, is someone, Annika Kolbinski, who you should interview. I just had a network uh, lunch with Miriam Rabung from, from West Wing today. I think she should also like um, be a great uh, interview guest. And um, then I have two other uh, people who just started freelancing who will also bring up super interesting um, insights who are Anjali Maurer, former 
VP People of Laconi and Eva Kreibom, who is a former VP People of Flink. So I think uh, that that's a bunch of people <laughs> that I know dropped, but everyone worth having a talk with, definitely. Cool. Yeah. And also, I think Eva was also one at one of my CHRO dinners. So this is overdue anyway. So thank you for all yes. the names. Um, definitely. So I, If you do, you know if they're already open for it, or should I still ask them? You have to ask them, but I can also drop them, uh, drop them a note that I nominated them today. So I yes. didn't ask, for, I didn't ask for their approval. Um, <laughs> so of course, of course. I just dropped out a note because I think every one of them has um, super interesting topics to tell, and um, every one of the people that I just mentioned, I personally, it's always like a super inspiration for me if I'm sitting down with them and having a talk. So I'm pretty much sure that it can also be an inspiration for others to sit down with them and have a talk. I totally agree. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely up for that. Um, um, thanks, Annika, so much for your perspectives. And um, it was really great to chat with you. Thank you so much for inviting me.